Hey, everybody. Happy Tuesday and welcome to the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today's first guest is Miley Cyrus. In my exclusive interview, the child star turned superstar is opening up about her return to acting, being in therapy and getting sober, and she recalls the career advice she once gave to Justin Bieber. Then later, Logan Lerman. The actor talks about his starring role opposite Al Pacino in Amazon's Hunters, and he also looks back 20 years ago to remember his first job on screen with Heath Ledger in The Patriot. So stick around. The Big Ticket exclusive with Miley Cyrus is coming up after this short break. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. At 27 years old, Miley Cyrus has had many lives. From child star to rebellious pop star and weed aficionado, she's now a sober young woman who may be developing her very own talk show. She's also recently returned to acting with a starring role in an episode of Black Mirror as Ashley O, a bubblegum pop star who wants nothing more than to break free from her controlling manager, her Aunt Catherine. While Cyrus has never had an Aunt Catherine, she knows a lot about being under the thumb of Disney during her early years as Hannah Montana. I caught up with Cyrus from her Los Angeles area home. Hi, Miley Cyrus. Hi, Mark. I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to see you and your mullet. It's amazing. I've put on a white button down twice in my entire life. Once for this and once for when I interviewed Senator Elizabeth Warren. And in the past four months, I think I've washed my hair twice. Once for you and once for Sir Elton John. So these are this this is the new way to do things. We were talking about how technology and connection, being able to really like utilize this and stay connected and for all of us, our world to continue to revolve and, and keep going. But it's also really nice to only get ready from the waist up these days. Yeah, I only steam this part of my outfit. <laughs> Everything else is like still kind of damp from the wash. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you, I mean, you took to this pretty quickly. I mean, you just started a talk show right away. How did that happen? Like what, what had you been wanting to do a talk show? And this was just sort of, Hey, this is a perfect time to do it. Well, I didn't have near as many people to talk to as I usually (laughs) do, you know, part of my life is connecting with so many different people daily. Um, I think that's why, you know, I grew up kind of I actually did a lot of kind of self-exploration and realization, I think, as a lot of us kind of had time to do. Um, again, we're going to talk about kind of the parallels of Black Mirror and that universal waking up. But there there was a feeling and is a feeling of waking up. And so I kind of realized, you know, from whether it was being a literal infant, I grew up on a tour bus with my dad. I was surrounded by thousands of people. Um, then going into school, having that kind of like, normal elementary, middle school, then in middle school growing up, moving to California and being on a set and just filled with people, a live audience once a week, touring. So again, just so many energies. And this was the first time that everything really stopped and it was just me. Um, And, you know, I think I, I did feel at first that it was good for me to have that time to kind of realize why... I love connecting with people and why I've chosen the path that I have. And a lot of it has to do with connecting with people, whether it's through writing or whether film or television or whatever it is, you know, something about being on people's TVs at night and connecting with them. I, I haven't really had that in the past 10 years. 
So, so having that again, I think directly communicating with my fans. Um, and this time rather than, you know, once a week, this was five times a week. And it gave me, you know, it gave me that, that purpose that I think a lot of us were going, Oh, what do we do with this time? What is our purpose? Um, and you know, a lot of my value that I find in myself is the ability to just connect with people and talk about, again, some of the issues that are being magnified at this time, not like by no means are any of these issues new. It's just the magnifying glass and the attention. And so to be able to do that every day and connect with my fans and talk about some fun stuff, but then talk about the hard things too. And, and it was just, it meant a lot to me to have that connection again. So does this mean when we go back to so-called normal, we're going to see a Miley TV show, talk show? We'll see. You know, I, I really have enjoyed one thing that I loved about it that I think would always be important and I would never want to lose is there was really no pressure. Um, you know, usually when you're, when you're doing a TV show, there's, again, it's always like the numbers and the viewers and the time. And, and, the, and that's what really like, I mean, again, it's so parallel to what we'll, we'll talk about with black mirror. That's not what drives me. Um, I never even like know how to find the number. Someone will tell me some number. I'm like, where the hell do you even see that? I, it's about like, again, it's about that connection. And so I loved how there was really no pressure. And it was like, if the show went over great, if the show had some tech problems, there was really, it was just about doing it for the love of it. Right. But will you have a TV show? <laughs> we'll talk. <laughs> um, when you're alone, do you, do you relish those times now because of your life has been so full of just people pulling you in all different directions? Do you ever just sit, whether it's in your studio, your living room, and just go, I'm by myself now. I need to breathe. Yeah, you know, I've been trying to spend, you know, that that time and take advantage of that time. But also, um, I guess within the last couple of weeks and, and last month, it felt like, again, I kind of had a, a duty to use my platform to amplify uh, the voices of the Black Lives Matter movement and being able to actually join safely some of the protests here in L.A. And I think it's just been really, you know, it's been a time that has been for all of us to stop, but it's also been a time where we have to go and the attention and the awareness is here. Um, and the time is now and to be active. So I think I've tried to have that balance, you know, right now I've been reading a book called the intelligent leader and it's talking a lot about like your values. And I think something that can get lost in the go, go, go is our values, which are, why do we do what we do? Not on a level of just, do what we do, whether it's for our career, but why do we tick the way we are? What, what, like, why are we programmed this way? And so I've been kind of going to the beginning, you know, going to me being a small child and all the way up until now and going, okay, this is what made me who I am. This is the mosaic that makes this full picture of what I've become. But again, yes, it's a time right now, I guess that we've been able to have these last few months for self-reflection, but now it's about, it's about going, I think. And, and there's a lot of uh, responsibility that we all have to see justice for everyone and to use our platforms in the way that can really create the change we want to see, especially with such an important election coming up. And we're seeing, you know, the music industry, you know, every day we're hearing a different change. You know, Lady Antebellum just today, getting rid of Antebellum and they're just going to be Lady A. 
Um, the Grammys are getting rid of the category of urban music. Do you think the change is going to be lasting? Um, you know, a lot of people are hesitant saying, you know, it's just the issue of the day and tomorrow it's going to be something else. I, I know that I'm committed. I can only really speak for myself and what I know that is it's a crucial time for me to educate myself and to never, you know, right now to I'm not a teacher, not the preacher. I'm the student. And I think that only person I can really speak for is myself and how not only are the you know next six months coming up to one of the most crucial elections, you know, maybe of my lifetime coming up in November. And then that's what I worry. What's beyond that? How do I stay active? How do we, when things are, you know, when I'm working with global citizen now working on uh, treatments and working towards getting a vaccine. And once that happens, once we're all back to our lives, how do we stay as active as we've been? Isn't that funny? We've been more active from home than maybe we ever would have been before. Listen, I tell this to people all the time. I've never, as much as I worked before, it feels like it's been nonstop right now. And I think a lot of it has to do with, one, we want to stay busy. We're, we're social animals. We want to be doing this stuff. And also, there's no separation now. Right. You're at home. You're at work. It's all the same. And also, I think that's what's been so incredible about seeing so many people rallying together at these protests is it's putting ourselves aside um, you know, and having this like, we haven't all been unified. One, I mean, I, I guess in really in history, but now when we're talking about just, I mean, looking at the last four months now, what is bringing people out of their homes and together into the streets and saying, we're going to take all the safety precautions, but we have to be there. Um, I just think it's been really amazing. And it's been really great for me to see, you know, obviously in LA, it's just been incredible. And I've been able to, to get involved myself and then also just sit back and Listen, and I think that's what the last few years, or I guess even the last like 15 years in the industry has been to me was as an entertainer, a lot of the time you're expected to be loud, whether it's in our actions, our views, our opinions, we're meant to be loud and entertaining. And for right now, just to be quiet, I think is what is really being asked. I think to be quiet and to listen and to learn. Do you ever look back at some of your loudest moments and either go, I cannot believe I did this. Um, what was I thinking? Um, I, one of my favorite interviews is when I say anyone that smokes weed is a dummy. That one's really good. That one I love to send to my parents who are big stoners every now and then. Um, anyone that smokes weed is dumb. Um, but you know, again, like it's been really important for me over the last, you know, over the last year, um, living a sober lifestyle. And just because I really wanted to, I really wanted to just like, just really polish up my craft. You know, I had a really big vocal surgery actually in November. Um, it was all just kind of a weird turn of events, how I even figured out that I needed this surgery. Um, so I had freaking four weeks where I wasn't allowed to talk me. So I got a, I was so ripped from writing on the whiteboard, yelling at everybody. Uh, I had this one big bicep from just yelling at my mom and going like this and still trying to do meetings. But it kind of prepared me for the stillness and the quietness. Um, and then when I was preparing, so I was going to do my first show since that surgery, I was heading to do a bushfire relief concert in Australia, which had been kind of a second home to me. So I was, I was literally about to board the plane 
the day after and we got shut down this is right when coronavirus kind of started taking over and so it's just been an interesting last like six months um for me because i kind of got forced into that reflective period before from from this surgery what was the surgery for what happened I just had, it's actually from, uh, it was really funny. My doctor looked at my vocal cords and he said, no one shy ever has to get this surgery. This is from overuse of the vocal cords. So it's no surprise that I would have this. Um, it's basically, I guess, probably from, you know, I've been touring since I was 12 years old. And again, it's not even the touring. That's the harder part. It's, you know, you end up staying up late and meeting greets and things like that. And obviously I just talk a shit ton. Um, you did mention living a sober life. Are you sober, sober? I've been sober, sober for the past six months. And in the beginning, it was just about like, you know, obviously with this vocal, again, this vocal surgery was kind of the biggest blessing uh, for me. Right. And just like finding that clarity. And again, just going through a lot of um, like therapy that I think is great for everyone. It has, you know, nothing to do with, you know, everyone's, I guess, experiences in life they're just so deep and detailed and been thinking a lot about like you know my mother my mom was adopted and so a lot of the feelings that she had and inheriting some of that kind of abandonment feeling and um you know a feeling of wanting to prove that you're wanted uh and valuable and you know my my dad grew up um in a, a home, his parents divorced when he was three. And so my dad kind of like raised himself. And so really taking this time, even though I couldn't be with my parents physically, because actually both of them, which they're so lucky. I wish I lived with my parents. Both of them live with their parents on the property. My mom's in LA with her mom and my dad's in Tennessee with his mom. So I wasn't able to see them to keep them safe. Um, but I did a lot of family history. Uh, which again, like has a lot of kind of addiction and, you know, kind of mental health challenges. And so just going through that and saying, why, why am I the way that I am? And so now I have a better, by understanding the past, we understand the present and the future much more clearly. So I think therapy is great. It is great. And I'm, I'm going to be, I'm celebrating uh, my sober birthday. July 7th will be seven years. Congratulations. Drink or drop. And it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. And then, you know what, I, a lot of people ask me too, you know, I, it's really hard because especially being young, you know, there's that stigma of like, you're no fun. And it's like, honey, I know you can call me a lot of things, but I know that I'm fun. <laughs> so I know that I'm fun. And the thing that I love about it is waking up 100%, 100% of the time, because there are a lot of challenges again, that you wake up and when they're when, when we're being asked to be this active and this on and this focused, and we're going to be making these big changes we want to see. I don't want to wake up feeling groggy. I want to wake up feeling ready. And so again, with bright minded, I do best when I have structure. When I, I have, my gifts can really become my weaknesses if they're not being used to better and to rather than, you know, my, my, my greatest talents can get me in the biggest trouble when I am not using them towards, you know, something like bright minded, you know, that, that having that schedule. And I think a lot of that, again, I realized had to do with kind of growing up, you know, my parents had me in public schools and then I went to a set and then I always had structure and I thrive on structure. And when I haven't had it in the past, that's when I get into dangerous situations. So let's talk black mirror. Um, Ashley. Um, we can't help but look at Ashley and think, is that really Miley? How much of that is Miley? What did you 
Well, I, I, thought, think. I thought you may I want to ask that. Ashley herself. My friends, we just had a little uh, small pride gathering at my house. And so many of my friends um, are being able to go to a pride parade this year. So they all fought over who got to do Ashley's makeup. So one eye is done by one friend and one is done by the other because everyone wanted to make up Ashley. Um, but I brought her over so she could answer some of the questions herself. But, you know, um, again, there obviously there's obvious similarities, um, but there's really, really important differences that really help develop the character. So I'm excited to kind of go through those and talk about those with you. Yeah. So, so tell me how, first of all, how did it come to you? Did you approach them? Did they approach you? Was the story first or did the story come after they approached you? The story was written first and uh, the script came to me and obviously I read it and I kind of had to like laugh out loud at some of these similarities because some of them were very obvious. I thought it was very funny that Charlie thought it was sneaky to make the, uh, the big mouse car. Um, I thought that was pretty obvious, um, you know, and again, uh, some of the similarities where it's like, Oh, with the wig on, you're a big famous pop star and without it, you're just a normal girl. Uh, like honey, I've played that role before. Um, so there was obviously some obvious similarities through the character that I've played before that actually kind of really became my life. Um, and then there are some of the obvious differences to me, um, again, kind of came from a similarity of her wanting to explore like kind of rock and roll and change genres. And that's something that, right after Hannah Montana was really important to me. Like I remember um, fighting to do the Billy Idol tribute or when they said, who do you, uh, Oprah wanted me to perform with my idol. And so I brought Joan Jett. You know, I think everyone thought I'd bring Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, but I wanted to do Joan Jett. Um, and I kind of had to fight to make that happen. So some of the kind of like, you know, genre bending. And again, it's definitely a real thing where it's like, you know, to kind of, gain creative control of your life you do sometimes lose some of those bands that came with you from the beginning that love the ashley o that love the hannah montana so the similarities and the differences the the main difference to me um of my character is i don't have an aunt catherine you know my family and my my mom has been my momager. I'm almost freaking thirty. My mom is still my mom. My mom. I don't. I don't buy a light bulb for my house without asking my mom if it's the right one or if it's okay. So I've had a mom that, without them, without my parents, I'm not sure. I bet my life would have been more similar to the Ashley O story. The thing that I had that really makes me different than Ashley O are my parents and the team that my parents put around me. Like when I was looking for a manager. We got whoever Dolly told me would be protective over me. It didn't have to do with, oh, he's going to make you a star and he's going to whatever. It was, you're going to feel comfortable with your child traveling with him and he's going to take care of her and like respect the values. And so again, it was a big difference is that family and having my dad and Dolly kind of guide me. Mm. So um, tell me about performing as Ashley, putting that wig on, putting, the, you know, the certain, yeah. I I live, you know, we shot in South Africa. And so I, I know, which was really, really funny because it took place in Malibu, which I was living <laughs> in Malibu at the time. So I'm like, no, could have made this easy. But um, I really enjoyed my time in South Africa. And it was really cool to, I've, I've kind of made records and traveled all around the world, but um, I got to spend about a month there and 
record in the studios and um, I got to work with some choreographers I maybe wouldn't have worked with before. Um, and it was just a really cool experience being so kind of isolated from like my direct kind of family and friends. I was able to really disconnect from myself and I was really able to get into Ashley. Um, and I don't think I would have been able to do that if I was in the comfort of like having everyone around me that I'm, I, 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 there was a, there was a cold and loneliness, um, to being so far from everyone that I'm usually with. Also during some of the, the scenes where the main, when Ashley wakes up from the coma, um, and it's totally traumatic, that was the day that I had lost my house in Malibu to the fire. So I was able to pull from that trauma uh, and use that in the scene, even though that was really hard. There was times where I had to like stop and just go outside and totally melt down. And um, it was it was just a really interesting time for me because so much was kind of falling apart in my personal life. And it was the same thing that was happening in Ashley's life. So it was just, it gave me a lot to use. But then, you know, over the past year, it's been nice, I guess, to have this time of, of reflection too, because I didn't really get to deal with it personally because I really just put it into Ashley and, and used it. Um, but I loved, I loved filming the videos again. That was like some escapism. That's the great thing about pop culture that I love again, as much as I love, you know, playing with other genres or I love dabbling in country or rock and roll. The thing that I love about pop is pop culture and the escapism that it can bring, you know, there's times where we just want to be in it, but when we watch a video, like, uh, I'm on a roll, it's like reality is just pushed on pause for a second and you're just in it. The hard thing with that and, you know, what isn't understood by Ashley O's fans or mine is what you're seeing in those videos always isn't the reality uh, for that artist. And, you know, she kind of thought that Ashley O had a perfect life. She lived in a big house in Malibu and she was the biggest star in the world. But at home, she had a lot of, you know, kind of abuse and torture from Aunt Catherine. It's so interesting that what you said about the fact that you were filming that. Um, when you lost your house, because one of the things I was going to comment, I'm going to, is the fact when you woke up from that coma, it was real, like that guttural reaction from you. I was like, oh, I don't think I've ever seen something like that from you in any, uh, any other project. So that makes so, mu so much sense. It was, it was real. And actually, my, uh, one of my best friends who's I don't even know how to really describe just kind of my everything. He tells me when I'm to wear and, you know, um, my, my, he was there and he actually was really worried about me because I had on real heart monitors. So all those screens behind you, I had real heart monitors on. And at one point my heart rate was just like skyrocketing. And he was like, okay, this is too much. Like she needs to go outside and actually cool down. Cause I was really everything in me, my body, my, you know, my, my head knew what was going on, but my heart didn't. You know, and um, I went right after that, there was a craft service truck and I went and hid in a ball behind the craft service truck and just like sobbed and just really kind of got it out and allowed myself to be me for a minute and, and to like feel it as me for a minute because I didn't want to just suppress it so much that it came back at a time that I don't want it to. You know, I, I think it's important to like just deal with things as they're happening. Um, but again, I, I had a job to do and and... You know, Aunt Catherine was there telling me, no, she wasn't. But I I am my own Aunt Catherine in a way of saying the show kind of has got to go on right now. You know, people depend on you. I think that's more what it is rather than this entertainment quality of like, 
I have to, I have to keep going and it's show business. It's like, no, there's so many people there that are depending on me and their day is revolving around us getting this, this job done. And that comes from some of the, the training. Who, who were some of your Ashley's when you were growing up? What posters were on your walls? I had the most weird mod podge of so on my wall was Britney Spears, NSYNC, Avi, Metallica, um, and then I had Hillary, and then I had who else did I had? I had Joan, and I had Pat Benatar. So I had no idea what, but somehow. You should have seen my face when Britney covered I Love Rock and Roll in Crossroads. I lost, I melted down. That's like, that's seeing the Father, Son, Holy Spirit all in like one room. Like I actually lost my mind. Um, so this, that was worlds colliding beyond what I could have ever dreamed of. But yeah, I think I had mostly Britney and Joan Jett posters, which it kind of makes sense. It kind of, like, I'm just looking at you right now. I'm like, that completely makes completely sense. Makes sense. nothing off about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Bieber, you and Justin chatting on Instagram. Ashley featuring Justin Bieber. Is that going to happen? Man, I think, I think we could, we could come up with something very, very, very special. So, um, you know, I got to reach out to him about that. As of now, nothing is in the works, but... You know, I remember, I remember when he first came out with his like Bieber three, I think it was like a 3d movie. Right. So I was like yeah. 16, something like that. And he was a little bit younger than me and I was sitting right in front of him and he like leaned up to me and said, like, do you have like, he asked me for advice in like a very kind of mellow friendly way. And I said, just try to remember everything, like try to kind of press record in your brain and remember everything because there were so many moments of my life when my mom will be like, do you remember when you got to perform for the queen? And I'm like, no, like I was, there was so much going on. I think so much to take in as such a young person. Um, but I, I didn't remember to like take everything in. And that's something my dad always taught me was when you're on stage, whether it's when you get there or when you're about to leave, like take a picture in your mind, you know, and like, remember it and savor it and take it in because things are moving so fast that it's so hard to just remember. And I remember like the carpet was just filled with screaming girls and everyone was everywhere and Usher was there and everything was going on. I'm like, just try to take a picture, just try to remember, you know? So we, we got a long relationship. So that would make a lot of sense. And I think he would be able to tell you, you know, some of his similarities and some of his differences with the black mirror episode also. Yeah. We need like a Justin version of Ashley. Yeah, we do. What was the first audition you ever went on, whether you got the part or not? The first audition I ever went on, I did get the part. And it was for a baked beans commercial. You have to look it up. But I hated beans. And so they regretted hiring me so bad. It was Tammy Womack. And I had to take this big bite. It was regional. It was regional. I had to take this big bite of beans. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and then there was a spit bucket. My mom was freaking out. I would spit after every single take because I didn't like beans. Right there. That's, that's, <laughs> that's smiley. That, that just says it all. Beans and a spit bucket. Yeah, just, <laughs> and my mom was like, you couldn't fake it for just like five hours. And my mom loved Tammy Womack, so she was so mad. And when are you going to get your next tattoo? When do you get tattoos now? <sighs> I heard that's like fourth tier. That's <laughs> like, you know, we're just waiting for them all to come out. I just think priorities right now. 
Miley, this is amazing. It's always good seeing you, whether it's Zoom or in person. Yeah. Um, I hope to see you in person soon. You just brought back so many memories. I'm just remembering like the first times I, I, one of the first times I interviewed you was at E and you were in your last season of Hannah Montana. Do you remember? And I said, Was I so ready? You said to me, I think this is going to be the last season. And that caused. Woo, Disney was freaking out. Honey, if we count all the times Disney was freaking out, if I had a dog for every time, (laughs) I'd have as many dogs as I do now. Miley, you're amazing. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Mark. Stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk soon. I'll talk. Take care. That was Miley Cyrus. Black Mirror is available on Netflix. I'm going to take a short break, but when we return, I'll be chatting with Logan Lerman, star of Amazon's Hunters. We talk working with Al Pacino, plus he recalls the late Heath Ledger. Stick around. I'm Alec Baldwin. Listen to my podcast, Here's the Thing, on iHeartRadio. It's my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers, like the actress Kristen Bell. And the moment I said, you know what, I have a thing... And it's a quirky, weird, fun thing that can be snarky. And I love doing it. I do it pretty well. Why not lean into it? And that is when I felt like I started becoming happier. Music legend Mick Fleetwood. Fleetwood Mac was always about change so that you were accepted for who you were. Former governor of Vermont, Howard Dean. I took the call in this quavering voice and the other end of the phone says, I regret to inform you that the governor has died of a heart attack and you're the governor. (laughs) That was the end of my medical practice and best-selling author Isabel Wilkerson. People would come up to me of all different backgrounds and would say to me, I had no idea that this happened in our country. If you like listening as much as I like talking with interesting people, go to heresthething.org and subscribe now on the iHeart app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Logan Lerman stars in Amazon's Hunters as a young man in New York City in the 1970s who unexpectedly joins a group of underground Nazi hunters. Not only does the series mark Lerman's return to television since his starring role in Jack and Bobby 15 years ago, showrunners David Weil and Nikki Toscano also secured Al Pacino for his very first series TV role. I talked to Lerman in early March. He joined me at the Variety Studios just before Los Angeles went on lockdown due to the coronavirus pandemic. So, Logan Lerman, how are hey, you? I'm good, man. How Thanks are you doing? Thanks for stopping by. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so, where do we begin? So, tell me, Hunters comes yeah. across your desk, an email. Yeah. An email. An email. What does the email say? Um, the email, um, basically, I mean, it just has, has the title of the, of the show, and it says, uh, I, the first name that registered with me was Alfonso Gomez Rejon, mm-hmm. who was directing it, yeah. and uh, Jordan Peele. And <laughs> they're good names. Good names. Yeah. I was curious about um the project from there. And then I saw the showrunners and Nikki uh and David. Um and uh I mean at the time I wasn't, you know, familiar with their work. I mean right. David had never made a TV show before. Right. And uh and 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 Nikki, I think this was her first time really, you know, show running, I believe. Mm-hmm. She you know, co I mean, I think she's been a part of yeah. like you know, these shows, but I wasn't really familiar with any, I don't watch TV anyways, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, but the, uh, I met with them, I met with Nikki and David, uh, and TV was very new to me because it was always the, the director, um, mm-hmm. 
you know, was the captain. And in this case, you know, it's showrunners in television. So I met with them and, and talked about their vision for the show after reading the pilot. And it really, um, I mean, it sounded bold and, 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 uh, different from other things. I mean, it, I mean, it felt very similar to certain movies and, and there's like a lot of, I think, you know, references mm-hmm. in the show, but it always takes like a left turn and they wanted to try things that, that were, um, you know, experimental, mm-hmm. you know, for, for the genre and for television in this form of storytelling. So I thought that sounded cool and it's enough to kind of grab my attention. Because, I mean, the last time you did regular TV, you were 13. Mm-hmm. That was a long time ago. I am. I would imagine scripts yeah. were being thrown at you and uh, offers and I uh, want to have talked to you about, especially yeah. now because yeah. there's so many options. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some stuff. And then, you know, I was thinking, I just, I was really scared about the commitment. So it was nothing that I was interested in for a long well, time. Well, scared of the commitment. Oh, just because you have to sign on to like five, <laughs> six years or whatever, something. Right. Nothing um, seemed, and I've been approached for other projects in the past, but nothing seemed like, um, like anything that I wanted to commit, mm-hmm. you know, that much time right. to. Uh, but this project came around and it's, it just felt right. And, um, uh, I, I like where it was set up too. Is at Amazon, and I like mm-hmm. uh, that platform. And uh, I'd say after working with them, it was just a creatively, um, really free experience. You know, they they were pretty hands off right. uh, with production and um, supported the show uh, in terms of what the show needed for production. But also, they just. I, there wasn't com- there wasn't a commitment before making it, but there was a talk about this being a big show for them that they were right. going to have, you know, a good amount of money for uh, publicity and advertisement, mm-hmm. which is you know so you know seldom do you see that with um, any projects, movie right. or TV these days, and so that commitment um, gave me some confidence in terms of what they wanted to do with mm-hmm. it, but um, you know it just seemed like the right fit at the right time for me. So and you, you played Jonah. It. Yeah. Tell yeah. us who Jonah is. Uh, Jonah is, um, he's, you know, at the beginning of the show, um, well, first of all, the show takes place in 1977. The job that, that everybody did to recreate the, uh, you know, 1977 summer. Yeah. Of, uh, you know, New York was, was really, it was really cool to see all the, uh, the heads of the different departments yeah. in the show uh, do what they do. But it's foreign to me. You know, I've just seen it in movies and things like that. <laughs> Um, pictures and things, but the, so uh, yeah. So Jonah though is, uh, you know, at that time he's taking care of his grandmother and, uh, at the beginning of the show, uh, he's, uh, there's a, or suffers this great loss and, and there's a great tragedy. His grandmother's killed in front of him and he's trying to figure out why anybody would want to do that and, um, leads him on this journey, uh, discovering this group of people called the hunters. They call themselves hunters and they're, um, and his grandmother was one of them, and he he's, uh, he finds out that they're uh, working to locate and identify Nazis that are living in the U.S. after mm-hmm. World War II. And um, I just thought it was a really compelling character. You know, um, back to you know, uh, you know what the initial conversations were. As an actor, it's a little scary to commit to something when you don't see scripts. So I had I hadn't read anything except right. for the pilot at the mm-hmm. time. And um, but I thought that with that set up for that character that there was a lot for us to do right in the season and i knew what the plan 
was, but I didn't see the execution until we were filming. So it was this interesting way of working that I wasn't used to mm -hmm. really because mainly making movies. There's the script. Yeah. I mean, really, <laughs> actually, I've only made movies really past for a long time. And yeah, it's the script and then you prep the script and right. then that's your, um, you know, you're committed to what's there and trying to fully realize that and um, give yourself to it. But then it's more run and gun mm -hmm. um, when you're making a TV show. Right. It's like, here's a script two days before filming and then you have to try to figure out how to uh, fully realize it and then also change things if right. they're, uh, they don't make sense or it's just, you know, it doesn't. I mean, I try to take ownership of my character mm -hmm. only when I'm in this position. So I was just looking at my character and those choices right. that the writers were making and trying to make sense of them and help and find it with them. It's intense material. This isn't, you know, mm -hmm. this isn't, uh, yeah. this is not a rom-com. No, no. Um, I, you know, that's one thing that's not in right. the show. Does the, <laughs> do, does the cast and crew sit down before you even start shooting and sort mm -hmm. of, I don't know, just have a discussion of, you're about to do this intense material, like, mm -hmm. you know, like, how do you deal with it? Like when you're offset, like you, mm -hmm. you know, do you just, are you able to just shut yourself off and go home or mm -hmm. does it sort of live with you for a little while? Mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit of both. It kind of yeah. lives with me a little bit. And then, I mean, after work, I'm able to try to shut off a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, try. Yeah, I think I do. You know, right. I mean, remember, they're just long days and you're tired and you only have a little bit of time in the evening to prep for the next day right. and also just try to uh not think about what you're what you're doing for mm -hmm. a bit for peace of, you know, for sanity right so i just you know dive into um something that i was watching or just you know hang out with my girlfriend or something and um but it's intense material but there would be conversations um as a group if we could have mm -hmm. them i mean i would just force it now uh right. Pacino would force kind of these conversations to happen um, <clears throat> because they're so important for everybody's right. voice to be heard and to um, make sure that everybody understood, you know, really agreed with and understood what they were right. saying and doing. Um, <clears throat> that being said, uh, the crew does, uh, you know, I mean, does have conversations as well, but they're separate conversations. Right. And I wonder what those are like, but, right. <laughs> uh, oftentimes it's like, you're just under the gun with the time, right. you know, and it's making your days done. and, and then tripping over your schedule. And then we didn't complete episode two or three or four or five right. and we're on six and we have to go back. And so it's like a lot of jumping around. Yeah. Uh, but you have to really find those moments to talk about what you're doing mm -hmm. um and uh you know we did we we managed to do it but it was forced on weekends right. you know and things like that so al pacino yeah what about the first day walking on set you look across mm. whatever you know mm. room mm -hmm. and it's al pacino yeah it's crazy what's going through your mind um <laughs> i think that all all that i could focus on was was the work mm -hmm. and just wanting to make sure that that everything sounded good and mm -hmm. felt right. And I think the first time any actor meets and well, actually we met at a at a table read. And I think any time an actor meets in that environment, they're always insecure about their performance because it's probably their first time saying it out loud or whatever. I mean, depending on how you work. Mm -hmm. And um, 
everyone's just too in their head and focused on themselves and I could, you know, nervous about it, but everyone, um, yeah. So, so when Al came in, it was just really just, he set the tone for the room and, and, and he's a very, what kind of tone does he he's set? just a sweet and uh, disarming presence. Yeah. And he, um, he doesn't like the attention to be on him or to be like applauded. And so, you know, he just wants to be, you know, float in an act and he right. wants to, he likes to work and experiment um, every time he's reading. And so do I. And I just liked uh, the collaboration right, right away. I mean, he's, he has full control over the um, feeling and the environment, mm -hmm. you know, and he, puts everyone at ease and it's just really sweet and you just you're just working with another actor who wants to find good moments and right. um fully realize you know their character in the script together so obviously there are holocaust survivors on the show mm -hmm. um and we see the numbers that have been tattooed on their arms mm -hmm. what's it like seeing that for the first time on set or you know it's the you know we first see the grandmother mm -hmm. yeah it's disturbing it's really disturbing yeah it's very disturbing to to see that, um, especially when you're kind of like losing yourself in work and you're just forget where you are and you're just focused on a scene. Right. Yeah, it really hits. It really And you're a nice Jewish away. boy from yeah. Los Angeles. I am, yeah. I'm Jewish and and um to see that yeah, I guess maybe resonates with me differently than mm -hmm. it would someone else, but you know that isn't jewish but um yeah it's something you know it's it sets a it strikes a very serious chord within you know mm -hmm. my my brain it just it resonates with me right. it's you know so you're happy you returned to tv after yeah it's just many, it's just it's, it's not the same years. though it's not the same it's just not even tv it's just like its own form it's a, what is tv tv just uh, was defined so differently back then by what um what you needed in order to make it on the air every right. week. You Was know? your team surprised that you agreed to do this? Uh, no, no, they weren't surprised. They were, they were, you know, uh, trying to convince me to do it. Every, mm -hmm. You know, it's just like this is a really good opportunity. You should really check this out. And like, you and know, Pacino they wasn't were, an, uh, Pacino uh, wasn't attached yet, right? Oh when no, he first signed on. Yeah, I don't, they weren't even talking about Pacino yet. They so, were just trying to figure out my character, and then they were trying to figure out that uh Meyer uh Meyer character and figure out who they could get. And I think Pacino was always kind of a long shot. Mm -hmm. And that ended up being a reality. So tell me about the email, text, or phone yeah. call or whatever you get that says, by yeah. the way, yeah. your co-star is out Pacino. I, I just remember talking with them about about that. Like they were, you know, exploring, you know, different names and they were right. talking about Al. And uh Little by little, there was, you know, he goes, oh, there's interest. Now he wants to talk. And I'm hearing that he's talking with the showrunners and wants to read scripts and be involved. And he's interested. He's leaning in. And um, next thing I know, he's on board. And it was like, well, it was just a crazy group of people to be working <laughs> with, you know, between Jordan Peele and Alfonso. And so two fun last questions. What's <laughs> one TV series you could watch yeah. over and over again and you're never going to get bored of it? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, um, one TV show, you know, um, that's interesting. It, the like the first response in my thing in my mind was always like Family Guy and, and <laughs> The Simpsons <laughs> and those shows. Those are good rewatchable shows. Right. Um, there's so many shows that I don't. I, I mean, that they're they're just exhausting. They're so long. Mm -hmm. These stories and it's a huge commitment that it's like. Right. 
getting through it. It's like, it's like reading a long novel and being like, <laughs> do you, like how many times do you want to read that again? Um, uh, it's, I'd say m- most of the time, the stuff I want to revisit are comedies mm-hmm. that are, you can, you know, yeah. watch easily. Yeah. So what was your first audition? Whether you got oh, the role or not. The first audition, I was so young. I mean, I think they were like commercial auditions were first thing, but the first like movie audition I remember going on was, uh, for a movie that I got, it was called the Patriot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was a little kid, but I very, I don't really remember what the experience was like. And it was, um, there's not really acting involved when you're, <laughs> you know, seven years old. What do you so. remember about Heath? Um, Heath Ledger. Yeah. I remember some things about him. I just remember he was so sweet and like always trying to, you know, like educate the, the young, the young ones that were interested. Yeah. (laughs) I just remember he had music that he was trying to show us and, you know, me and, and, and one of the other, um, I just remember, you know, us two that were really young right there. It was like sky or in the sky. And, um, yeah, so I just thought about her too. She, she passed away as well. Um, but I mean, it's, they're such blurry memories and I was, Mm -hmm. you know, seven years old, but I just remember him hanging out with us too a lot and trying to uh, instill whatever he could into, you know, our young minds. And it was really sweet. Awesome. Just a nice guy. But those are very, very uh, foggy memories. <laughs> yeah. It's right. like, I don't remember anything about the audition process for that. Awesome. Yeah. Mr. Lerman, thank you so much. Thank this you so much. Awesome. I appreciate this it. Thank you so really much for great. talking. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks yeah, for having yeah. me. That was Logan Lerman. Hunters is available on Amazon Prime Video. That's it for today's episode of The Big Ticket. Coming up on Thursday, Zoe Kravitz, star of Hulu's High Fidelity and the upcoming The Batman as the iconic Catwoman. For now, don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And for all the latest Hollywood news, head over to Variety.com. Be well and stay safe. See you next time. Hold up. 